us for today's episode of Certainty Talks. On this show, we talk about certainty, a topic that feels more important today than ever before, but all in all, always an important topic. We do have my good friend and business partner in the Whale Club here, Paul Sparks. He's not only a successful real estate investor, but also a certified certainty advisor. And we do the show because a wise man once said, if you just look at the last three years of your business by months, you turn all the negative months to zeros, what would happen to your bottom line. So we're here to achieve financial certainty by rigging the game in your favor. Now I'm also on a mission to create hundred millionaires. The information on the podcast alone is enough to help you become a millionaire in the next five to seven years. If you'll take consistent action, you will, you will become one. And if you get value today, please share this episode right now. That way we can all grow together. And uh, Paul, why don't you go ahead and introduce our guest here today? Absolutely. So we got, Nick Peterson here with us. He's our uh, technology partner in the uh, in the Whale Club. So, you know, we brought Nick in because he's launched a bunch of projects and fun things in the crypto world. That's how I came to know Nick, and uh, he's helping us navigate this wild world of technology and compliance. And so we're we're very fortunate to have him. And welcome in, Nick. Yeah, awesome. And. Uh, before we jump into the show, I want to just kind of make a comment real quick. Something I've learned from Nick a lot is, you know, the power of open loops, you know, as we go through this conversation, as we discuss these topics, you might be tempted to try to close these loops. It's a very natural phenomenon. Uh, we encourage you to just keep an open mind for as much as you can and allow us to, or not allow us, for you to figure out how to close that loop later on on your own. And then I want to start the show off with a six word update. So for myself personally, what I've got is adapting your day gets you closer. Paul, what do you got? Whale Club Cohort 4 started yesterday. Exciting times. There it is. Nick, do you have one? Yeah, I was muted. Sorry. I'll give it a go. Uh, I finally kicked this freaking cough. All right. That's, that's good. Because I was really concerned. Um, our fourth partner, uh, Dan said that for every time Nick coughs, I have to take a shot. So I got this bottle of tequila from our good friend Nick. Uh, so <laughs> I'm hoping to survive this yeah. episode. We've been trying to we've been trying to regift that to somebody for <laughs> probably six months. So <laughs> you succeeded. Nice work. You succeeded. So right. um, before we move on, before we move on, I'd like to get some feedback from the audience on our brand new whale hats. So if you haven't seen these, Nick, I know you're extremely excited. Steve, don't worry, this did not come out of the budget. Uh, but you know, if you like these whale hats, drop us a comment so that we can get more. <laughs> I, I check the mail room every day. <laughs> what we're doing right now is I'm trying like all the different whale hats. So we're like ordering one of every single one of them so I can see them and try them, find the one that I like the most. Find the one that makes the most sense. Perfect. All yeah, right. That, that so. one's pretty sweet. <laughs> well, as long as you're not trying them out of the budget. All right. That's right. So uh, today's topic, we'll be discussing the third wealth commandment. So Paul, why don't you lead us off on what that means exactly? So for those who aren't aware of these wealth commandments, I think we use these as part of our certainty operating system. This was developed by Dan Nicholson and taught to me uh, by him and Nick in the CCA. And we describe a, an operating system by needing to have certain parameters, algorithms. Dan calls these commandments. So there's four wealth commandments. And we've talked about the first one, I, I believe, on, on previous calls, the closer versus more. 
we may have touched on preference versus binary, which is number two. Number three is that every decision has an infinite number of trade-offs. And what that means to me is that for every, every time we make a decision, we're eliminating <clears throat> you know, an infinite number of possibilities that we could have chosen. Yep. Um, how have you found that to apply to your business? The example that I use right now, and again, for those who may not you know, know me that well, my, my business, I'm here in the Denver market. We do about three to four deals a month. We do wholesale, retail, novations. We do fix and flips. We do developments, things like this. And so, you know, there's a couple of examples that I want to bring up today. And the first is a fix and flip that I'm doing. And what I've found out is that I'm not very good at fix and flips. I have a tendency to pick bad contractors. I have a tendency to, you know, I, I a tendency to want to do more deals. And we bought this fix and flip in July last year, and we're still slogging through it. Um, and so this perfectly illustrates why every decision eliminates an infinite number of possibilities because the money that's stuck in that deal, the time, the energy, that have you know been stuck in that deal is money, time, energy, and resources. I now can't allocate to a better deal if it comes out right. It's it's stuck. I'm stuck with that decision, and I can't make any. You know, I'm not able to get out of it quickly, right? So this was to me just like the perfect example of where I violated that that commandment, and so for that reason, we tend to stay away from fix and flips. Why? We've talked about the barbell before, right? And Nick's probably going to touch on this, but it's like, well, if I can't make it reliable, for some people, uh, fix and flips are very reliable. For me, they just aren't, and they don't have a lot of upside. So this was an example of me loading the weight in the middle of the bar, and I recognized that you know, by choosing a bad deal, by choosing a deal because you're just trying to do more deals, you're trying to keep up with others in your market, trying to keep up with others in the masterminds, right? We, we make decisions that now eliminate an infinite number of trade-offs. Yeah, you're keeping up with the real estate Joneses. Um, that's right. So I could say for me personally, you know, I've been going through this journey uh, and, you know, for everyone that's been following me for quite some time, you know, I've been going really hard on social media and, you know, uh, one thing I've been learning from Nick a lot is about, you know, it's not that we don't have enough resources, that we horribly manage and misallocate our resources. And the thing that I've noticed in the past year is that we spent a lot of time building my brand, right, with no clear purpose. So there's a lot of effort, a lot of energy, you know, uh, building out the team, building out, buying all the equipment, this and that, which is perfectly, you know, I, I think was the right decision. But the dedication of the resources, their mental power, having them try to you know, create me as an you know influencer versus you know creating a message that helps direct our audience. Right, we were the hero this whole time. You look at Story Brand; that was definitely the wrong message. But we were the hero this whole time, and so it felt like we didn't have enough resources. In reality, we had the resources; we were just squandering it. So, uh, Nick, like you know, we're talking about the third wealth commandment. Like, how do you? prevent yourself from misallocate or I guess how would you apply this or for someone that's listening to, to learn from this? Uh, yeah, those are great examples. Um, so every, for, for every decision you make, 
there's a you're, it's an infinite number of things you cannot do. And, and I'm going to say that a few different ways because step one is to recognize it. We say that and people are like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Because if I do this, I don't do this. Uh, but they they don't operate that way, right? They tend to operate as if uh, either resources are infinite. Uh, so you might pick up like a, if you own a business, you might be like, well, this is how uh, Apple does it. Well, Apple has nearly infinite resources and you don't, right? So we have to be aware that uh, Apple might be making the trade-offs and not care because they have billions of dollars in their treasury. Um, so, so we do have to recognize, you know, um, the the amount of resources available. Uh, so, so we'll either uh, do that, or we tend to assume that we live in a vacuum, right? Everything's going to go exactly as we plan. You ever been like, I'm going to do this fix and flip, which I don't really know that much about, but, and, you know, it'll probably be done by November. So we can start this other thing uh, in December. And then it, the, the original thing, the fix and flip is not done by November. Imagine right? that. Yeah. So what that is, is that, that that's this thing that we do in our head where we know we don't live in a vacuum. Nothing has ever in our entire life worked out exactly like we thought it would, but somehow we still operate as if it will in the future. Right. <clears throat> so that's one of the trade-offs we have to account for is that we don't live it's the unknown you know we, we need we need to leave space for things um and the tighter that we schedule things the more fragile the the long-term plan is uh and then we think computer science so back to the the barbell the barbell is a risk domestication framework um and I talked about this before with you guys so I apologize for being repetitive in medicine it, it manifests itself um as minimum effective dose and maximal coverable volume. In computer science, that's where the resources, because what computer science are trying to figure out is like we have this much computational power. How do we allocate it so that people get fast data, accurate data, yada, yada, yada. <coughs> and so what uh, computer scientists are always doing is, is they're trying to figure out the trade-off. What is the trade-off, right? Uh, we keep all these tabs. We can You can have more tabs open, but it might slow down things, right? What, what's the appropriate amount of tabs to keep over? Or what's the appropriate rate to update each tab? What Yada, yada, yada. They're always trying to figure this out. Um, and what they came up with is uh, this, it's the same structure as a barbell, but it's explore, exploit. And then a whole bunch of really good books about computer science came out for, for the layperson. And uh, you, <clears throat> the, the easiest examples are like, look, we know this intuitively. Uh, as soon as you like get engaged to marry somebody, that limits the amount of like really dumb stuff you can go do. Right? There's a trade-off. Like you're because with with every decision we make, whether we realize it or not, is an obligation. <clears throat> so in many ways we realize this, and in other ways we completely miss it. So what's really important is to figure out what do you value. Um, you know, somebody that values more time just to try and get their time back versus somebody that's trying to acquire stuff might have different values. One, one doesn't give a shit about their time. They just want more stuff. The other one has stuff or wants more time. And you really got to stop and say, okay, so <laughs> if I make this decision, what, did it, what are all the things that I cannot do because I've made this decision? Right? Like once I decide to propose... I probably can't like go on a bunch of dates to find a better option. Mm -hmm. I have to delete you Tinder. Know? That's, that's the explore exploit continuum is the more that you exploit, 
which has a negative connotation, but computer science, it just means make a decision. Uh, the more decisions that you make, the less exploratory opportunity you have. So the, Nick, can I add something too yeah. about like making <laughs> a decision too? I think what's, what's caused me to make decisions in the past, a lot of times has been FOMO, urgency, right? Like we don't like open loops. Steve started the show talking about like how we don't like open loops. And so what happens is we get caught in this, well, I just got rid of the last fix and flip. I got to do something, right? I have to do something. And then you, you look around and you're like, well, well, this guy's going faster than me. Or, you know, we, again, it's just another way of saying, we just don't like the open loop. And so we end up making decisions a lot of times based on this FOMO and urgency without considering this commandment that everything has a trade-off. Yep. Yeah. This, uh, you know, from the engineering days, right. Uh, we used to call this a power triangle. It was like, uh, as the engineer, we would have management like, well, we got to make this smaller. We got to make it faster. It's got to take less power. It's like, no, like you can't win on all these different avenues. You want to make it smaller, uh, you want to make it smaller and less power. You want it to be less power in a smaller area. We want to be smaller area uh, or um, and faster. But you can't have all three, right? And then when I got to start showing houses as a realtor, I'd have to have what we call these come to Jesus talks with home uh, home buyers, right? It's like, okay, I understand you need this many square feet. And you need to be under this price, and you need to be in this city. I understand you want all these things or this this close to this specific landmark, but you can't have all three. So, you know, taking that power triangle from engineering days to real estate, now we're just simplifying and saying like, hey, like there's, there are trade-offs. You got to figure out which ones are important to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we can go back and realize that every, uh, this is all a resource, I'm a resource allocation guy, obviously so is Dan. So this is all about resource allocation and understanding that our resources are limited. They are. Um, so if, if you imagine, you ever seen like a, drives me nuts watching uh pro sports like you ever see an nfl game <laughs> and see the offense is on the field they're doing well and like all the defensive starters are running up and down the field and celebrating you know in my brain i'm like hey why don't you sit down <laughs> because the trade-off is in the fourth quarter you're going to be tired yeah is it really worth you know celebrating all of this and then like having a little bit less energy later so there's all these things that um we act as if we have infinite resources, energy, time, money, and we know better. And uh, <coughs> we don't always accept that because we're we're always chasing upside. I know that's the thing with real estate investors and crypto investors and marketers. We're always chasing upside, right? Because it's going to change our lives. Uh, or FOMO. We're afraid of missing out. And we don't acknowledge that every single thing we do carries with it additional risk. Right, everything. Now, you might make a move. Uh, I'm going to this product or service has way too many moving pieces. I'm going to remove some of those. Okay, so there's still a risk in that you might piss off current people that use it. Right, but you're removing more risk than you're adding. So there's there's a lot of like, uh, does that make sense? Where yep. everything you do is adding risk. We really have to sit and say you know, understand that okay, if I make this move, I'm taking a risk. Am I removing a larger risk than I am taking? Yeah. Which is a complete 
inverse of what people do. They're just going, does this have more upside than what I'm doing right now? <coughs> so when we think about these trade-offs, uh, I, I'll, back to something uh, Paul said, because it was great. Uh, I'll give you a few reasons, a few trade-offs that are never worth making. And that's going to be super intuitive or counterintuitive. It might sound intuitive, but just watch yourself behave and you'll, you'll catch yourself. Uh, trading anything because you are afraid you might miss out. Not worth it. Not a good trade-off. So you catch yourself. Oh, well, hold on. I'm rushing because I'm afraid I might work, uh, miss out. Trading anything, time, effort, authority, reputation, uh, because you feel a little uncomfortable and you're trying to re find relief quickly. The trade-off won't be worth it. Right, those are probably the two biggest ones. Um, or if you're rushing, if, if you are like, oh, no, I got to hurry up. And like you're turning your computer on, you're trying to rush to do something. Uh, <coughs> that trade-off, whatever you are about to do, the trade-off more often than not will not be worth it. So if we just catch ourselves in those three moments uh, and understand this, this particular principle, <coughs> that wait, wait, hold on, I'm, I'm making a trade-off here. Let me slow down and think about this trade-off before I push this button or make this phone call or send this text or whatever. Uh, we will start seeing leaps and bounds in our progress over time. So FOMO, feeling better, and then uh, uh, rushing. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I feeling rushed. It's probably FOMO, um, but you don't always recognize FOMO. You, but you can recognize when you're like, you ever been, we all do this. We're rushing and we're just kind of like, we can't find the thing we're looking for and we're hurried and our heart rate's up and uh, that's probably FOMO, but it's easier to recognize when we're just rushing. Uh, that trade-off will not be worth it. Yeah. I, I've, uh, I, I found myself, you know, learning, you know, learning from Paul, learning from you guys recently, there was a situation where the homeowner is like, Hey, I need this done by this date. And like the team's like, Hey, can we do this by this date? It's like, uh, learning what I've learned recently, <laughs> not a lot of decisions have been, have been right. We had to move this fast. Like you're moving faster than I feel comfortable with. And I'm a pretty crazy person, right? If you're moving faster than I feel comfortable with, <laughs> maybe this, the answer is no until we can figure this out. Cause we can't move as fast as this homeowner is requiring us to move. I'd like to say something too, that Nick mentioned, he was sort of alluding to this concept of system reliability that we talk about. And um, so what, we learned this in engineering school that the reliability of a system is made up of the sum of the reliabilities of, of each of its components. So let me break that down. What that means is that everything is less than a hundred, right? When we look at a percentage reliability, you can't have a 110% reliable system. It's always less than a hundred. And what we, we've kind of come to realize is that it's a, it's, it's the product of the reliability of each component, right? So if you have two components that are both 99% likely to happen, or let's just say, um, you know, uh, predictable, right? When you add those two things together, now the reliability of the system is 81%, not 90%, right? And so every time we add an additional component, the chance of us actually getting what we want goes down. And so, how does that relate to trade-offs? It means that oftentimes we add things to the system because we're like, 
hey, let's do direct mail. Let's do cold calling. Let's do texting. Let's start doing uh, uh, SEO and pay-per-click and all sorts of stuff, right? And what you're doing is you're actually allocating resources to all these different things, and you're making all of them less reliable. Yeah, well, I think on top of that, right, because you're talking about like all these different marketing channels, on top of that, right, let's just say, hey, we've got this whole time we've been uh, cold calling, right? And then when they cold call, when we cold call, they get called back in. And we used to say, for example, we use CallRail. And then now instead of CallRail, we switch to Salesforce, which is like, hey, this Salesforce is more reliable than CallRail, right? So it should be no big deal. But then you find out, well, system's not ready yet. So let's go ahead and go from cold call to CallRail to Salesforce. It's like, okay, I mean, like this for sure work. And what do we find? And after listening, learning to you guys, now, now we know why this didn't work. It's like, <laughs> we got two systems that were not 100% reliable. And instead of getting 99% reliable over here, 90% reliable over here, we got the product, which is like 95% reliable. It's like one in 20 calls we're missing now. Whereas before we're missing like one in 100, now we're missing one in 20. It's a massive yeah. problem, but we don't realize it until later on. I was like, oh wait, it's the product of the reliability, not just you know, uh, the, the, the sum, or you're only missing one, you're missing both. Well, it's like, you know, trying to catch five rabbits at once, you're going to catch zero. That's sort of the, the, the idea here. And the other, the other analogy I've heard that I've used to describe this before is the beachhead strategy. So in world war two, when we, when we stormed Normandy, the U S didn't try to take every beach along the entire coast, we took one beachhead and then we took another beachhead and then we took another beachhead. And this was a way to reduce the number of things that needed to go right. We need this next thing to go right. And the risk to, uh, to your, um, you know, again, every decision has an infinite number of trade-offs. Let's bring it back to that. The trade-off to trying to attack all these different beachheads all at once is that we lose a lot of American lives, right? When the stakes are high, Oftentimes we can make these decisions, but it's, it's, you know, we don't recognize when we're adding things, adding components to the system that now need to go right. And then all of a sudden you end up with this really complicated system and you're wondering why things aren't working out right. It's like, well, because you've misallocated your resources across way too many things. So one of the things that we talked about, right, and it's interesting in, in talking to you two and talking to, to Dan, is like we're turning these things into math equations, which is fascinating, particularly in engineering. Uh, so how do you, you know, you say, okay, if we add this additional piece, we're going to increase the complex, complexity, and there's a complexity tax to it. So then what calculations or what decisions, Nick, are you looking at to decide whether it's worth adding that next piece of complexity? Well, we measure, so from this, from, from our perspective, right, um, we have to think of all the trade-offs, and, and that's, it becomes fairly intuitive when you know what matters to you. Uh, you don't have to sit down and, like, it might be helpful at first, you know, make a spreadsheet of all the possible trade-offs, yada, yada, but eventually you, you go through it a few times and you just realize what really matters most to you, uh, and you just want to make sure you're not trading that for something that's less important, Okay. So that's step one. It's going to be different for everybody uh, based on their priorities. You know, that's so just caveat with that. And then we sit and we say, all right, we're not getting the outcome that we want. We have to look at each individual component. This is hard for some people because they haven't isolated the variables. So the step would actually be to like 
isolate the variables and then get more data. So you look at each individual component and uh, <coughs> we already know that adding another component is going to drive down the reliability no matter what. So that's the trade-off, right? Is that the trade-off we want to make? Well, we may not need to add a component. We may replace a less reliable one with a more reliable one, and then the reliability actually goes up across the board. All right, so here, here's what our brain does. Let's say 50% of the time, a component one is 50% reliable. Okay, component two is 50% reliable. System reliability will be 25%. So 50% of the time, uh, you've you actually flip the light switch like you're supposed to. And 50% of the time you actually pay the electric bill, 25% of the time you will get the outcome you expect. The light will turn on. So you might go, okay, well, this system sucks. Let me add a super reliable component. <coughs> so right now, system reliability is 25%. If we add something that is, we do the math here, 99.99999% reliable. We're like, wow, this is way better than everything else. This will be great. System reliability has gone down to 24%. And that's what we do. That's typically, we just keep adding stuff that is better than what we have, but we're not replacing what we have. So the total reliability goes down. So the first thing is, um, <clears throat> can we replace, can we either bring up something that is unreliable and the trade-off will be, Typically, not all the time, typically, it's the stuff we're not good at and don't like to do. That's why it's unreliable, you know, because we just don't want to do it. So the trade-off is, is it really worth my time and effort? No, we got to look at that. Maybe it's not. Okay, can I replace it? <coughs> or can I get rid of it altogether? And then we got to weigh the trade-offs there. Well, 20% of our client base would be pretty pissed off if we... Uh, if we remove this, you know, so we, we just have to isolate these variables in this, in this, uh, in this case, components, uh, <coughs> and measure, measure those trade-offs. Typically speaking, uh, typically speaking in this case, we're going to want to remove as many components as possible. There's a saying, I say it all the time in the office and sometimes, uh, to like the team at the Wolf Den and stuff. It's like, uh, a new broom sweeps clean. You know, sometimes it's just wipe it clean and build it all over again. And there's a huge cost to that, right? But that cost is still potentially far less than allowing it to run the way that it's run. You know, it's going to be different for everybody. So it's really just thinking critically about what are the trade-offs here. And more importantly, <laughs> the most important, the most practical application for me, and Paul, you're going to be similar, I think, uh, actually, everybody on this call is like, ooh, I got space. I'm going to do something with it. Mm -hmm. You know, and th that's the most practical application, useful application for me is going, whoa, 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 hold on. If I do something, what am I actually risking? And if you wait, like, okay, yeah, I'm going to, I need to do this. It's only going to take three weeks. I'll get in, I'll get in, I'll get out. And then you start. And if you pay attention you'll realize that like two or three days later, an even bigger opportunity comes by and you have to say no. Because you did not, you could not conceive of this opportunity three days ago. You, you did not even know that you had to make this trade-off, right? So, <clears throat> but now you have to say no. And now you're like, crap, I'm stuck in this flip, flipping whatever, you know? Um, so, so it's just wow. acknowledging, like what are the trade-offs? And even right now, 
there may not be any significant trade-offs to make except for we can look and we can say, you know, if I make this decision, I won't be able to make another decision next week. And you may just, if especially if you're a gifted human and you know you're a gifted human and you tend to attract opportunity, um, leaving space for next week <coughs> is very, very important. So hopefully, hopefully that makes sense. It's it's tough for, uh, it's really tough for people who like to fill space, to acknowledge trade-offs that might happen in the future. Uh, go ahead, yeah. Paul. I got a really strong good case in point here, but I'd like to hear Paul first. Well, I was going to share... I think I think a lot of it comes down to like do we even know what game we're playing? Like we we start making decisions without really understanding the specific game that we're that we're trying to get closer to, which is again why we talk about solvable problem, we talk about closer versus more. And you know, for example, Nick, you're talking about this this scenario where there's like this unforeseen trade-off. Like I have no idea what it is. This is why the rule is that there's an infinite number of trade-offs because tomorrow you might get that phone call that you've been waiting for, you know, years, a decade. Like the point is, is opportunity knocks. I, I think it's Jim Rohn that says something like, like the wind blows, but it's the set of the sail. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, well, the winds blow but we feel so inclined to make a decision so quickly without really understanding there's an impact to risk of making every decision. And you may not even realize what that risk is because it hasn't presented itself yet. Yeah. So I had a, in late January, I got COVID, right? I think for the first time, don't know for sure. And in that time I had a lot of free time and in that free time, got really into NFTs and committed a lot of time, money, resources into it that leaked into once COVID, once my COVID was over, got back into the business. But now it's, you know, the, the amount of time I have in a week became a lot less because now we're also dedicating resources to that, right? Hired somebody within another person within our organization to be involved in that. And so that was taking again, time and opportunity away from other places where we can be allocating our, our, our resources. And then you're talking about uh, if you're a gifted individual, you have uh, you no know, shortage of opportunities. That is something that I actually have a challenge myself uh, with my bad enough that earlier this year, my, my best friend, my accountability partner sat me down. I was like, you need to write down a decision tree to figure out the next opportunity you get, whether you're going to pursue it or not. And, you know, I've asked a lot of yes questions in there. Like, does it do this? Does it do that? Is this fun? Is this something I want to do, someone I want to do business with? Is this someone I'm in line with core values? But what I didn't do, which Nick just alluded to here, is what is the risk? What are the potential costs? What are some opportunity costs I might miss out on? Gonna have to update that list. Mm -hmm. Well, how about, I got another good example I'd like to talk with you guys about. Um, Steve, Nick, have you guys ever had a situation? Because we're uh, we're we're all sort of you know this this quote visionary type, right? And we we more visionary than I would say the the implementer type, right? And so I know personally, I struggle with. I've made this statement before. Well, I just need to hire an integrator because I'm not I'm not an integrator. I'm a visionary, right? I don't worry about the numbers. I'm big picture, big idea. You guys ever had that? Of course. <laughs> Yeah. Um, 
what's the trade-off with with saying things like that right what's the trade-off with making that decision that you know i've decided in my head that's somebody else's job you know i can tell or, you exactly or, what like, it is from previous pain well it's, i know yeah it's, and it's like oh well if it's you know if it's below a hundred dollars i'm gonna hire somebody else to do that i'm not doing any of that work so the the i can say the risk for myself personally from experience is that hiring somebody to run take it over and implement it a, we're pretty lousy communicators as human beings, right? That's just generally a given. But B, after you hire somebody and they quit, you made a commitment to that project. You committed to people. You committed resources and time. And guess what? That trip you're promising your kids, it's gone. That trip with your kids is gone. Go ahead, Nick. That's a that's a that's an example, and those are great examples. That's an example of. I mean, there's a few things. There's a few. Uh, Warren Buffett would call a Lollapalooza. There's a few things overlapping to make it like just ridiculous. Um, but the, it's partially a function of uh, not having what Dan would call a preponderance of data. You know, I'm going to hire somebody and they're, I'm going to get my time back. And the data actually shows that for every new hire, you have to spend more time with them for a very long time. So you don't actually hire somebody to get your time back. So one is just, you know, that it's hard to measure the trade-offs when you don't have the actual data. Uh, and two, the vacuum thing, right? We think we live in a vacuum. Once you do hire somebody and everything's running smoothly, you start planning as if they're always going to be there. And uh, again, it just, it just comes back to like, we don't consider the, all right, well, there, there is the risk that at exactly the worst moment, they will quit. And we, we just, we know that somebody says that we're like, yeah, that's true. But we didn't, we still hide Factor it. That into our, we still yeah. hide it in the back of our head. Yeah, and so it's <clears throat> the. It, it's not to like you know. I mean, you guys know me. I'm not doom and gloom, and you know, um, I'm I'm probably overly optimistic about most things, but we do have to acknowledge trade offs. And there's, uh, I'll give you guys a quick uh, cheat sheet from Dr. Jeff Spencer, actually, who I know Paul, you spent time with him. He's obviously one of my dearest friends, um, you can look at the way that you're wired and the decade you're in, and it, you know, it moves a little bit, but whether you're 20 to 30 years old or 30 to 40 years old, generally speaking, people that are watching this and engaging in this and, and hanging out in masterminds and going to events that we have, they're going to be maybe late twenties, probably in their thirties, maybe in their forties. Right. Um, and in that, especially if they're high performing, what happens is their their mission is typically acquisition. You talk to real estate, people get into real estate. What do they want to do? They want to acquire as many doors as possible. And so if you know what the mission is and you know what your strength is, you know yourself, that's great. The most important thing, because now we're talking about uh, measuring trade-offs, is knowing your liability, your biggest liability. And your biggest liability generally speaking up until mid to late forties is obligation because you're acquiring stuff. So you bring on, you bring on new employees. Now you're obligated to pay them. You bring on new, uh, new clients because you have employees to serve them. But even if those employees leave, you have an obligation to serve, right? You just acquire obligation. So for most people, that's the number one trade-off I would look at. Like, should I, should I do this at like one event or should I do a yearly mastermind? You know, 
And um, I would say be very careful, careful with the yearly mastermind because that's obligation and that's your biggest liability. So it's a bigger obligation than one event. So when you start measuring trade-offs, for most people that are ambitious enough to watch and implement watching, you know, anything you guys do, I would say uh, the number one trade-off is that uh, what kind of obligation am I making? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm looking at this sheet Dr. Jeff gave us, right? So Life lens? In your, yeah, the life lens. And so yeah. the driver in your 30s, because again, most of us are, like you said, late 20s, 30s, early 40s. Uh, driver is conquest. The motive is acquisition. The purpose is validation. The, your strength is your tenacity, but your liability is your obligation. And that's it. Like this is, he talks about the zone of doom, right? Between the late thirties and the early forties where you've just, you've acquired, you've taken on so many obligations throughout your thirties that all of a sudden you get to the end and you know, it's like you sell your business, you blow it all up. Like you have a major health problem, something happens, right? That, so, so again, our, like you're saying, our biggest risk, our biggest trade-off are the obligations we continue to acquire during that decade. And there's someone I know personally that's going through this right, right, right now, right? All the obligations and everything else. And, you know, you talk about the doom loop and like, you know, don't blow yourself up in the process. I'm, I'm, it's, it's really painful to see them blow themselves up right now. Right? Like they made all these obligations and things came to a screeching halt in June. And right now they're in a really bad spot financially because of all the obligations that they've made. And you guys are talking about Dr. Jeff Spencer, that's someone that's going to be talking at the certainty event in a matter of a couple of weeks. So, you know, if you guys are interested in the, in the certainty event, you know, go to blockchainwells.com, check that out. Uh, was there more you wanted I to add to that, Paul? Oh yeah. And Nick will be there too. Awesome. That's something else you wanted to add to that, Paul? Uh, what, what, uh, Dr. Jeff Spencer I mean, said. this just perfectly encapsulates the idea of what we mean when we say everything has an infinite number of trade-offs. Like you may not recognize the trade-off as you're making that decision, as you're hiring that person, as you're moving into that new market and you're doubling down and we're going to do another marketing channel. We're going to partner with this person and, Oh, we're going to buy a, another company and do this. It's like, that's what your your hardwired biology is telling you to do. You're, you know, acquire, acquire, conquest, right? But we don't recognize it's like the, you know, the the wily e. coyote that just runs off the edge of the cliff and then he doesn't even realize it. It's like, and oh, now you're up, you're off the edge and you blow up. Like these are the trade-offs that we're talking about. That's an extreme example. Ah, that's extreme as as it may appear with some of the things that people we've seen people blow up themselves with sure all i'm saying is it could happen to you in a big in a big way it can also happen in a really small way just mm-hmm. trade-offs around um let's say eating poorly what's the trade-off you don't have good energy throughout the day right what's the trade-off of not spending time with your close relationships because you're just head down building the business it could be that you're losing those relationships so it's not just related to business it's not just related to uh, you know, this, you know, Wiley Coyote situation. It's like, it's all the little trade-offs we make every single day that add up over time. Yeah. Unfortunately, and I'll, I'll just say this because it, it ties all the way back into the certainty operating system with priorities and, and why we do all of this solvable problem and all that stuff. Nobody, everyone has to skip all that stuff. Um, because in the short term, the thing that drives you is a liar, Right. 
that's your impulse. That is your amygdala. That is the thing that says, okay, what's the trade-off of eating this donut? Yeah. Well, I will, it's going to be delicious and I really want it and I'm starving. And like, it doesn't really hurt me today. Right. Of course, not doing that every day. You've added five, 10, 15 pounds to your waistline and now you got health problems and yada, yada, yada. So unless you can be really clear, uh, same with the, you know, your your brain is telling you, what's the trade-off of staying at the office late? Well, my wife and kids will understand and, and I mean, I'll make a lot more money. So your brain, the like the impulsive short-term part of your brain does not weigh things objectively. So in order to actually measure the trade-offs and consider them, so first we have to accept everything I do has a trade-off, right? Which is what we're talking about today. Second, we have to, when we are in a state of sobriety and clear-minded, we have to be clear about the priorities, like what really matters to us. Uh, because your brain, when you have a donut in your hand, your brain will lie to you about what the trade-off is when you when you weigh it, right? You'd be like, no, this is way better than skipping it. And then you go home and two days later you feel guilty and you realize, wow, that was not a good trade-off. Uh, but you wouldn't, you'd have the ability to properly weigh the trade-offs if in a state of sobriety you got really clear on them. Like, no, being home by this time for my wife and kids is the most important thing. So that when that time does come and your brain is just not wired to be objective, you've already made the decision. Right. So not all trade-offs will be that simple and straightforward, but some will. We may as well save ourselves all the cognitive load, you know, and just make sure we're super clear on uh, on what really matters to us. Well, otherwise knowing we, what really matters too reminds me of the Halloween candy principle that Dan shared with us. And if you haven't heard this one, you know, listen listen up because this is a this is a beautiful representation of this. And so, you know, Steve, you got kids, right? Um, and when Halloween comes around, what do the kids do? They dress up, mm -hmm. they go knock door to door. I don't know if, if, if your kids are this way, but with my sister and, and me growing up, it was a competition. Oh, for sure. Who had who, the heaviest bag? Who has the heaviest bag? Who's getting the best candy? Mm -hmm. Right? So what is Halloween really about? Is it about who has the best candy or is it about beating your brother or sister, right? Is it about dressing up and having fun and competing to like get the best candy, you know, because it's like, well, you could just go out and buy your kids candy and give it to them. I would much rather but that, that's, but that's not what we do. Yeah, but that's not what it's about, right? It's like, that's not what that, that's not what the point of trick-or-treating is the Halloween candy principle says what is really important here like what's really the game that's being played it's not about the parents just going and buying their kids a bunch of candy because you could do that at any point in time it's about the process of letting them go out and dress up and trick-or-treat and like compete with their brother and sister and come back and say I got the best bag right so the point is is yeah, like if you don't really know what Halloween is about, you might just be like, well, I'll just go buy candy for them. But that's not what it's about, right? And so recognizing what the game that's actually being played and playing that game, you know, so it's it's like, yeah, you could stay at the office late. Mm -hmm. 
but what is this about? Like maybe your wife and kids need to know that they're prioritized after a certain time in the day. Right. It, it, and yeah, they may be okay with you doing that. Just like your kids would be okay coming home with a big bag of candy. Right. But the point is, are you there for them? Right. It's just like the Halloween candy principle. Well, there seems to be a lot of overlap uh, between the third wealth commandment and closer versus more. Right. Because yeah. you talk about, um, you might say yes to an obligation. I'm guilty of this. Right. Um, I had my schedule pretty well balanced, but now that I've said yes to certain things, well, now some of my weekends are gone. <laughs> right. And right. so I've always been proud to have like weekends wide open. But now, you know, with a recent business divorce, I am now working more on the weekends. Um, and then, uh, you know, we're talking about like the costs, right? So prior, prior obligations and commitments, right? Someone leaves. Now I got more obligations. I got more commit things I got to commit to, things I got to honor. Um, and so, yeah, this is the closer versus more. Are we sacrificing something by committing to something? And then when things don't go the way you hope they would go, now you got more obligations, things you got to honor. And then you're violating the closer versus more. Yeah. And the other thing about closer, I mean, the thing I like about closer and just tie all this together, because because there's, there's overlap in all the principles, it's like a lattice work, right? Um, <laughs> is that, and I'll, I'll also tie in some some specific things about trade-offs and I'll, I'll share some of the biggest trade-offs that we make and, and how to think about them and where we violate it. Uh, I've become good friends with uh, Alan Barnard, Dr. Alan Barnard of the Goldratt Institute. Uh, he's the founder of Theory of Constraints. Uh, and I'd, I'd never paid attention to Theory of Constraints, uh, but it's very similar <clears throat> in a lot of ways. And... Uh, it's something we've always talked about, but they, it's part of their core. Uh, it's, it's part of theory of constraints as well, which is, uh, I'll give you an example of a trade-off. Um, the more that you try to accomplish at once, the less likely you accomplish any of it. Right. That's the big one. So a lot of times we'll have, you know, one person chasing five bunnies. I think you said that earlier. Okay. So our brains go, Oh, you know what we could do? We'll get five people chasing five bunnies. There's maybe a higher probability that you catch all five bunnies, but there's actually a lower probability that you get one than there would be if you had five people chasing one bunny, right? So when you take your resources and you put them to one thing, one priority, our brain is like, oh, but can't I have everything? Like, sure, you can accomplish this thing and then the next thing and then the next thing. Uh, but we're so afraid of like missing out that we try to spread all of our resources so we can do all the things. Okay? So when you're trying to fund or accomplish multiple things with your resources, <coughs> it feels like you're going to get more stuff, uh, but you've actually driven down the probability that you get any of it because you have less resources on each initiative. Right. And I think that's a very important point for all of our listeners that have shiny object syndrome like myself. It is, it is. And you know, if you're okay with it, you're okay with it, but here it's a it's a vacuum thing again when you go okay look if i do this 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 if i put 20 percent, might just talk about money but 20 percent here and 15 percent here and five percent here in 10 years i will fund all five of these things all right that assumes we're gonna live in a vacuum and there's never going to be a covid so by splitting it we might get 70 percent of all those things funded and then covid hits you lose your business you got to start all over and guess what you have funded zero of the things that matter to you whereas how do you put all of those resources into the first thing and then the second thing 
And then the third thing, and then COVID hit and you lost everything, you actually would at least have funded the two things that matter the most. Mm-hmm. Right? So by understanding we don't live in a vacuum, that's the trade-off we make when we spread resources too thin. Now I'll just divert some of these resources over here. That might be a good decision. You got to really think about it. Um, <coughs> because shit happens we can't, we just can't fathom right now. Nobody was thinking like, I know a bunch of people that uh, own high-end restaurants. None of them were considering something like COVID. And why would they? I mean, I get it, right? But it's, what they did was they said, you know, and they, they make, I mean, high, high-end restaurants. They've done very, very well. And their brains were oriented towards more faster. And they opened another one, opened another one, opened another one which is taking that huge treasury that they had for the restaurant group and spreading it thinner and thinner and thinner. And then COVID hit, right? That's the trade-off. That one restaurant would have survived just fine because it had an enormous amount in reserves. Uh, But now we got 10 restaurants that don't have that many reserves. Now, now we got 10 very fragile restaurants. That's the trade-off that you make. (laughs) Right. Yeah, if I could share a case in point, this is just, you're going to laugh, Nick, because I caught myself doing that, right? So first of all, like even even though you may know these things and it may sound intuitive, there's a difference between uh, what you actually do and what you think that you do. And so we are working on, in the Whale Club right now, a white paper. And the point of this white paper was to highlight all of the applications of blockchain in real estate. And we're like, look at all these applications. We've got real estate tokenization. We've got title and ownership transfer. We've got raising capital and syndicating funds. And uh, there's data, there's leasing, property management. I mean, it was just so many things. And we, what did I do? Like, let's get everybody together and let's have everybody work on each one of these things, right? Well, that's assuming you know the best way to present the data that everybody's going to participate in the same way. And so what we realized was that we were spreading our resources across all these different applications, trying to get one big white paper out that featured every application possible in real estate. And I, <laughs> I think we realized pretty quickly, we're like, hold on a sec. There's a trade-off to that. We do this, we may not get any of them done. Right. So why don't we take our resources and let's allocate everybody to the most uh, the lowest hanging fruit, let's say, which right now is real estate tokenization. And Steve, as you know, we're, we're working on tokenizing Pete's fund. We're working on tokenizing some some other, you know, single family homes and things like this. And and so that shift where everybody's spread out across all these different uh, applications and, and refocusing people to the one application that moves the needle. When we get that done, we can get some feedback. We can find out, was there a better way to, to organize this? Was there a better way to deliver this? We can make a micro step and then make adjustments there. It feeds into the, you know, we want to optimize before we maximize principle that we'll talk about at certain points. So it's like, like you said, it's a lattice of all these these frames and these uh, algorithms that kind of lay on top of each other. But again, without having that certainty operating system to recognize, Oh, I'm violating that, that third commandment. There's a, there's a trade-off to doing it that way. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you, uh, cause okay, a couple minutes here. Um, when we go back to how do we measure trade-offs, 
we have our suggestion. We have our operating uh, framework, our principles. And I think uh, you guys have talked about it before, which is eliminate the zeros, right? Eliminate the zeros. Uh, and in system reliability, by bringing down the lowest performing components, right, by bringing up the lowest performing components, it actually brings up the total system reliability significantly more than raising the ones that are already high. So raising the floor, which means when we look at trade-offs, your brain is going to like, it's going to try so hard to think about the upside and perfection and all this stuff. We can simply look at what is the worst case scenario here and what is the worst case scenario here. And we can choose the better worst case scenario. It really is that simple. Like, so in the example you just gave, okay, worst case scenario is we have a white paper and it only has like one or two applications on it. If I put all of our resources towards just one or two applications, uh, if we spread our resources, the best case scenario is better. We have a perfect white paper, but the worst case scenario is we don't have one. Not having one is worse than having one or two. Mm -hmm. Trade-off, you, you've acknowledged a trade-off and it's very easy to decide, right? It's just raising the floor. So <clears throat> that's one way to, because there's so many things to measure, you know, when you think about trade-offs. Uh, but if you can identify what is the reasonable worst case scenario of this and what is the worst case scenario of this, uh, if one very clearly has a better worst case scenario, it's probably the asymmetry is more to the upside, which is the given our operating system, that's what we choose. Yeah. So, uh, thank you, Nick, for being here. And, uh, if you guys want more, right, we do have, uh, our event coming up in September 16th, 17th, I believe, uh, in Denver, go to blockchainwills.com. We got our certainty event. I'm excited. Again, we got Nick. We got Dan, who's been on here a couple of times. We got Dr. Jeff Spencer, who's uh, coached uh, Nick, who's actively coaching Paul. And he's also coached a handful of really famous people as well. I can't think of all of them right now. The only one I can think off the top of my head is, is Tiger Tiger Woods, who's, you know, he's accomplished a Chris few things. Chris Voss, man. He's working with Chris Voss yeah, he's right actively now. working with Chris Voss. So, yeah, there you go. So, uh, we got all these people. If you guys are interested, uh, check that out. Uh, Paul, is there anything you want to uh, leave or close this out with? Um, like Nick said, these, these wealth commandments and the principles that we talk about in the certainty operating system, it's a lattice. They overlay with all of them. You know, it's kind of tough to take one and pluck it out without really understanding the other ones. And this is the point of this show, right? We're going to yeah. talk about these principles. We're going to talk about the frameworks, how we make decisions in the certainty operating system. Um, so, you know, if you want to learn more about that, just keep showing up each week. Yeah, keep so showing the up. Magic is, the magic is I'm going to, I'm going to close, I'm going to do a closing for you guys. All right. um, you have a, this is what we do in the CCA and it's what you guys do in your, uh, in your program. You can watch all of these for free. Right? We're showing up. I mean, they're showing up more than I am, but we're showing up and like, here's like, Pay attention, take notes, leave the loop open. You, your first thoughts can be like, where do I use this? And like, don't even worry about that. Just understand it. And then if you can, you want to join. And again, selfless, not selfless, selfish, not selfless, I guess, because it's you guys. Join a program like these guys have. Uh, you'll be armed with a toolbox. And then there's this engagement. So the magic is when you can go to somebody and say, here's the problem I'm running into. And they say, oh, just use this tool. And you, you've already like loaded your toolbox. You go, oh, optimize before you maximize. Now I see how to recognize that in the real world. 
right? So you watch like watching all of this stuff, the, the perspicacious few will just figure out how to apply it. But it's like, okay, this is a hammer. All right, put that in my toolbox. This is a screwdriver. This is how you use it. Okay. Uh, then the next question is like, well, when do I actually use the hammer? And the fastest way is to get in a community or a program like these guys have <coughs> where you come and you say, hey, here's my problem. And they go, oh, use a hammer for that. And your brain will go, oh, I see why I would use a hammer for that. And now you've learned to identify, right, how to solve problems with your new toolbox. So watch all the stuff for free. Build up a toolbox. And then uh, <coughs> then you want to start in, in like a safe environment. You want to start practicing using the tools. And that would be through like case in points and masterminds and workshops and stuff like that. Awesome. Thank well you, Nick. Said. So we'll wrap up here. Thank you all for watching. Thank you for listening. And I will see you guys next week. Bye, everyone.